Welcome to Rights Up Right Now, a mini episode of the Rights Up podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I'm Kira Allman, and in this episode, I'm talking about transgender rights in the United States with Corey Stoughton. Corey formerly served as senior counsel at the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, and in June, she will be starting as advocacy director at Liberty. In May of 2016, the Obama administration issued federal guidance stating that transgender people are protected according to U.S. civil rights law preventing sex discrimination in schools. It was a historic move, in response to a wave of cases making their way through federal courts regarding discrimination against transgender people. Many listeners will likely be familiar with a number of recent high-profile discriminatory laws and civil rights cases involving the use of bathrooms in schools and other public buildings by transgender people. In February 2017, the newly elected Trump administration rescinded the federal guidance issued under President Obama, and the legal landscape on this issue instantly changed. Some cases had been decided in the lower courts based on that guidance, and their decisions now needed to be reviewed. There has been a greater recognition in general of transgender rights in recent years, alongside the increased public visibility of transgender people and a concerted transgender movement. Corey Stoughton was deeply involved with these issues and the drafting of the federal guidance issued by the Obama administration when she served as legal counsel at the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. And she's here to tell us a little more about the legal dimensions of transgender rights in America. Thanks so much for joining me, Corey. Thanks so much. I think it's worth starting by talking about your background and how you've become involved in transgender rights issues. Yeah, so until January 2017, I was the senior counsel to the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights in the United States Department of Justice in the Obama administration. And one of the initiatives and priorities of the Obama administration, DOJ Civil Rights Division, was to advance the rights of transgender people. And uh, so in that capacity, we worked on uh, ways to bolster and strengthen the coverage for transgender people under uh, United States federal civil rights laws. And we, uh, we used powers of litigation that the federal government has in the United States to uh, attack anti-transgender actions by state and local governments across the country. So transgender rights were really a priority in the Department of Justice when you were there. Yes, uh, I, and that was partly a function of demands that, uh, of the moment and of uh, the growing power and visibility of the transgender movement in the United States, which itself kind of sparked a big response from opponents of transgender rights and led to many state governments uh, passing legislation that explicitly attacked transgender people. So. In a way, it wasn't so much that the Obama administration came in saying, you know what, we're going to make transgender issues a number one priority. I think it was really more a fact that in America in that moment, transgender rights really rose in visibility, and that led to a backlash, and that meant the Obama administration, which has these powers to make sure that discrimination, explicit discrimination against any category of person, you know, that's protected under the law, mm-hmm. uh, is, is challenged, used those powers to make, to kind of respond to that backlash to the growing visibility of transgender people and their demands for equal rights. What are the key legal questions when it comes to transgender rights? Well, there's a couple of different issues on transgender rights that have become, um, you know, the focus of the movement for, you know, equality. 
Uh, one of them is employment discrimination and um, the question of whether whether it's illegal to fire a person because they're transgender. And uh, th that issue, you know, that might seem kind of like you, you might respond to the say, well, of course it's illegal. But actually in the United States, it's um, not clearly illegal in many places. Uh, you know, the United States has um, a, a, you know, a federalist system of government. So there's the federal government, the United States federal government, the national government. And then there are state and local governments, which also can have their own laws. And there are some places in America where it clearly is illegal to fire a person or not hire a person or not promote a person because they are transgender uh, and solely because of that reason. But, you know, the, the biggest and most powerful or most visible anyway, uh, federal civil rights laws are from the federal government. And uh, there are protections, obviously, from, uh, from discrimination based on race, and there are protections from discrimination and firing based on, um, on sex. And then that question became, well, what does sex mean? And, you know, historically, um, you know, for many years, you know, the sex discrimination was thought of and used by women and men sometimes who were not hired solely because they are women or in some cases men. But then as, the, again, as transgender people became more visible and as uh, their demands for equal rights um, took on greater strength and power, transgender people also said, well, you know, sex and trans, obviously this kind of is a category that makes sense. We, we've been fired or not given jobs because we're transgender and so that's sex discrimination. Uh, and that, that's the fundamental question actually at the root of all of these issues and, uh, is, is the question of, in the United States anyway, the, the raging legal question is, is discrimination against transgender people, quote, sex discrimination in the laws that protect sex discrimination? So where do these rights and anti-discrimination law in general come from within U.S. law? So there's a couple of different places where the rights derive from. What One is the United States Constitution, which has a provision uh, guaranteeing equal protection of the laws. That, that provision has been interpreted to prevent intentional discrimination against people based on race and, again, based on sex. And so, again, that debate comes up about the meaning of the word sex. What does sex mean? Does it just mean, you know, uh, women, you know, cisgender women not getting a job and a man getting a job instead? Or does it, you know, mean kind of what, what we've sometimes called like sex-related characteristics, uh, uh, including being transgender? And... Uh, and so that's one source. There's also federal statutes, you know, laws passed by Congress that also, uh, you know, protect sex against sex discrimination. And there's a couple of those statutes tend to be divided up by subject. So there's a Civil Rights uh, Act called Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which is about employment discrimination. And again, that has that language, you know, based on the basis of sex. Uh, and there's a statute called Title IX which is about educational opportunities and says that no, no, no person shall be denied educational opportunities on the basis of sex. So it's this kind of cluster of both constitutional protections and statutes, laws, that prohibit sex discrimination that are at the heart of this debate about whether transgender people are included in that concept of sex discrimination or not. Every time we talk about U.S. law on this podcast, we always have to come back to the way that the federal government interacts with individual states. How does that relationship affect this issue, the question of protecting transgender rights? Yeah, so the, the relationship between the state and federal governments is a really important dynamic to understand to figure out what's going on with transgender rights. Because on the one hand, you have more progressive states like California that are passing laws that make it very clear explicitly 
that gender identity is kind of a component of this notion of, of anti-discrimination and transgender people absolutely are protected from you know a act adverse actions based on them being transgender. On the other hand, you have some states that are going in the other direction and are passing laws that explicitly codify discrimination into state laws. And the, the biggest example of that um, you know, recently is North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, which passed a law called HB2. It, it prohibited transgender people from using gender-appropriate bathrooms and changing facilities across the state, in, in, in public bathrooms in the state. So that would include bathrooms in a public university, like the University of North Carolina, a huge state university. Uh, and it would include not just students, but people who are attending a football game or a basketball game at the UNC campus. Uh, it included any state employee in their workplace. And so uh, that was really a frontal attack on the identity of transgender people because you know, th that's not, it's not just about bathrooms, right? But if you're, uh, if you're working and you can't use the bathroom uh, that you're comfortable in and safe in, if you're a student uh, and you have to walk miles away to find a bathroom, you know, that you, that you can use and you're comfortable in and you can't use it, you're going to miss class and be late for class. I mean, that's a really big deal. Uh, and it really functionally excludes transgender people from public life. Uh, so the federal government uh, can look at state laws like that and use powers that the federal government has uh, to enforce federal civil rights laws to compel states in this weird way, right? It's, you know, the, the thing about federalism is the federal government can't always tell state governments what to do in a really direct sense. But federal civil rights laws give enforcement authority to the federal government, specifically the Department of Justice where I worked, to sue states uh, in in federal courts to get court orders to compel them to stop discriminating. So, so there you have that that really kind of divergent perspective. On the one hand, you have states that are doing you know you know really the most they're on the progressive edge of this, and on the other hand, you have states that kind of evoke the South during the you know civil rights era in the '60s, which was about race discrimination in America, that are kind of actively discriminating, and the federal government's trying to prevent that. The courts in the U.S. obviously play a big role in determining what is a right in the United States. So what have we seen happening in the courts on the issue of transgender rights? Yeah, so this question of uh, whether federal civil rights laws and the Constitution uh, covers transgender discrimination has really been percolating and brewing in the U.S. courts for years now. And, and that's typically how questions like that develop, right? You, you know, lower courts get cases, lower courts make decisions. Uh, those cases then eventually kind of rise up to, uh, you know, appellate courts. Uh, and then at some point, the issue boils up to the, uh, United States Supreme Court, which is the, which will definitively answer the question. And we haven't reached that stage yet where it's come up to the Supreme Court for a decision yet. Uh, it did, it did go up to the Supreme Court, and I'll, I'll tell that story in a second, but, you know, what's happened over the last several years is that courts have generally recognized, not without exception, uh, that transgender people are covered by federal civil rights laws and, 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 and sometimes the Constitution as well. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely been some courts that have gone the other way. So there's a bit of a split here, but the majority, the, the kind of momentum is in favor of, ex of, of, of uh, acknowledging that those laws cover transgender people. And one of the cases in which that momentum manifested was a case involving uh, um, a, a boy called uh, Gavin Grimm, who was a high school student. It, uh, it actually is still a high school student. I think he's, he's graduating actually imminently. And, and he was a student in Virginia 
who uh, was allowed to use the boys' room, transgender boy, allowed to use the boys' room, but the school board there got wind that there was a transgender boy using the boys' room and responded to that by uh, overruling the school's decision to let him use the bathroom, the boys' bathroom, and creating a district-wide policy that required students to use bathrooms consistent with their, quote, biological gender. Uh, which I, I'm not sure what that means. I think that's kind of a confusing concept, but but it was very clear that it was meant to keep this transgender boy, Gavin, out of the boys' room. So so Gavin sued. Uh, he's represented by uh, the ACLU, among other organizations. And uh, that case, uh, he, he won in the appellate court. This, we, we, there are uh, 11 um, appellate courts that kind of do regions in America that are the step between the first court you sue in and the highest court, the U.S. Supreme Court. And the the Fourth Circuit is the circuit that covers Virginia. And the Fourth Circuit ruled in Gavin's favor and said that Title IX, uh, which is the statute, civil rights statute that covers education, covers him. Uh, and so it was illegal to prohibit him from using the boys' room. Uh, that case uh, was appealed to the United States Supreme Court, which which has the discretion to take or not take cases and really exercises that discretion uh, pretty uh, narrowly. And when they initially took the case, a lot of people were really surprised because um, although there had been a number of cases at the, at the lower level, the district court level, we call it, there hadn't been that many appellate court rulings on this question, but they took the case. And then what happened in the middle of that was an election and uh, a change of administration. And uh, the Trump, as we talked about earlier, the Trump administration rescinded federal guidance from the Department of Justice that interpreted this this statute, and that really changed the landscape of the law in a way that made the Supreme Court reconsider whether it should take the case or whether it should send it back down and let the lower courts kind of look at this again in light of this changed circumstance and just make sure that they would still come out the same way. So that's what happened in Gavin's case. We kind of came close, uh, really tantalizingly close, to a definitive once and for all answer to this debate about whether federal, U.S. federal civil rights laws cover transgender people. And then the court said, well, we're going to let this percolate some more and send it back down. But I think one way or the other, really soon, we're going to see this issue get decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. What are the differences between the Trump and Obama administrations on transgender rights? What does the Trump administration being in office mean for the future of this legal question, do you think? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. I mean, in one sense, it doesn't mean that much because uh, transgender people are out there fighting for their rights and they're continuing to press for those rights themselves and they have the tools to do that and they don't need the federal government to do anything uh, to kind of make that happen. Uh, so I think I think this question, it, it, you know, is still going to progress. Um, so in that sense, it doesn't make that much difference. And it is a, the, the fact that the Trump administration isn't using the enforcement powers that it had the same way the Obama administration is, you know, isn't going to stop anything. On the other hand, you know, I think what the Obama administration did while it was there was really transformative in a movement sense, you know, and in a legal sense for two reasons. In, in a movement sense, in the United States, as, in, as I think in the UK, we're in a moment of really increased visibility of tra of transgender people and of transgender rights. And there's a lot of places across the country and across the world where people are having conversations about being transgender that just weren't taking place, you know, even a few years ago. 
And, you know, those conversations have to happen. And there's, you know, I count myself among the people who really late in life had to come to an understanding of what it means to be transgender and realize that, in fact, I had known transgender people, you know, even dating back to my childhood, but hadn't had the kind of familiarity with what that means and, and, and the kind of context for understanding it that, that I, that I needed and that I have now. And I think that, again, those conversations are happening all over the place. And when the Attorney General of the United States, you know, Loretta Lynch, who's the Attorney General in the, the last Attorney General in the Obama administration, stood up when we filed that case in North Carolina and, and spoke to America about, uh, the need to respect transgender rights and analogized the recognition of equality for transgender people to the need to recognize the equality of all kinds of groups dating back to the struggle for race equality in America, which she has a very deep personal connection to. Uh, I think that was a really transformative moment. And it was really one of the most magical moments for me at working at DOJ. So I think that was really, uh, you know, it, it, the movement would have happened anyway. I think transgender people would have vindicated their own rights and they, you know that movement started long before the attorney general said anything and will continue long after but i think it was a great contribution to to kind of opening and broadening that those conversations and kind of validating and respecting transgender people uh, in a legal sense i think it also helped because you know the federal government has now said this is the valid interpretation of the law right it, it, it couldn't have been clearer that the obama administration felt that there's no logical way to read federal civil rights laws about sex discrimination and not have that include transgender people. And although, the, again, I think that argument was always out there, it was always a good argument, there is a certain amount of legitimacy and, you know, stamp of legitimacy that you get when the administration, the federal government, which is very small c conservative when it comes to interpreting laws, says this is the right interpretation of the law. And even if the Trump administration one day comes out and says, we have the opposite interpretation, which they have not done yet. They've just rolled back to kind of neutral right now. Even if they do that, that statement will have a lot less credibility because, you know, it's a flip-flop, right? And it just kind of, I, I think we're just at a different place now in terms of the strength of that legal argument than we would have been uh, before the Obama administration took those steps. In the U.S., we tend not to talk about questions of rights as human rights. We usually have debates about civil rights under the Constitution. Is the concept of human rights being invoked here at all with regard to transgender rights? Should we talk about this as a human right? Or is this a totally different conversation in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I have such a narrow perspective on that because I'm a lawyer, you know, so I think in terms of you know, constitutions and statutes and policies and kind of legal guidances. And, um, you know, that's not a really human way to look at the world, but I can't help it. It's like, you know, my mental training. So I do think um, my vocabulary around this is all about civil rights. And that's because that's the legal framework we have in America. Our constitutional rights and our statutory rights speak in the language of civil rights. And so those are the tools that I have at my disposal as kind of an ally of this movement for transgender rights to to use and, and try to, you know, I, I feel like uh, what we were doing in the Obama administration was kind of using those tools to to protect transgender people because because they do. And because that's the, 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 the job of the civil rights division in the Obama administration was to enforce and in any administration is to enforce those civil rights laws. And so those are tools that are available. Uh, you know, the the kind of 
really deep intellectual question you just asked about what's the right way to frame it and what what value could a human rights framing bring to that i'm just i feel like uh, i'm way out of my league on that <laughs> and i i do i think it's a great question and i would love to you know learn more about it but i but you know in america i think largely because it's the it's the, it's the way that other movements have framed their challenges for equality and respect under the law that's kind of the framework that's there I, I do think it's one of the obviously the kind of having a constitution is probably the like the single defining difference between the United States and the United Kingdom on a legal basis. I don't know, probably some legal scholar would disagree with me, but it's a huge difference, right? And and it's really interesting because in America to say something is a constitutional right, what that means emotionally and socially and culturally is that it's inviolable, right? It's inherent, it's fundamental. Uh, even though as a technical legal matter, I mean, you, you can amend the Constitution. It's There's a process for it. It's written into the very Constitution. But that happens so rarely, and re that reality isn't even really present in the cultural understanding of what a constitutional right is. So when you talk about constitutional rights, and for similar reasons when you talk about civil rights, because these statutes that we've been talking about that protect against sex discrimination um, you know, the, the newest one is uh, almost four decades old, or perhaps even four decades, you know, from 1972. And the other ones date back even deeper into the civil rights era. And because they emerged from that struggle, they also, I think, have an element of really fundamentalness to them. And so even though the human rights, you know, vocabulary is absent largely from the discussions about transgender rights in America, when we talk about those rights, those civil rights, they are so fundamental to the to what it means to be American that I you know it has it has a much more fundamental flavor to it than I think what civil rights mean in a kind of formalistic legal sense or how that how that term is heard outside of the United States. Okay, well, thank you again, Corey, for joining me to talk about these issues. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. Rights Up Right Now is a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud.